day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Just a little more than 24 hours left in the presidency of Donald Trump, and then we will see the inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States. All the plans that are coming together in Washington promise that this will be a very different inauguration than we've ever seen before. But I'm hopeful, and I think a lot of people are, that the moment won't be lost for all of the differences. This is a moment of turning an important page in our country. And I think whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, you've got to hope that the new administration does a better job of representing everyone, of respecting everyone, and trying to move this nation forward in a collective sense. I want to start here today. After a tense weekend with armed guards waiting in Washington, D.C. and in state capitals across the country, it seems as though maybe we're all cautiously exhaling a bit, at least for now. After the chaos that ensued on January 6th, Residents, elected officials, and troops were nervously waiting over this holiday weekend for a conflict that thankfully never seemed to really materialize. This hour, we're going to spend some time dissecting the social and political aspects of American life that have culminated in this moment of such deep division in our country and where we go from here. That's always the question we're asking here on Detroit Today. What's next? How do we get to a better space? Later in the hour, I'm going to talk with Columbia psychology professor Peter T. Coleman about the new kind of leadership that he believes is required to navigate our country out of this epidemic of polarization. But first, a look at the role of gun rights advocates in shaping the ideology around freedom, fear, and the far-right extremism that played out in our nation's capital earlier this month. For this conversation, I'm joined by Furman D. Brabenbender, uh, a, a professor of philosophy at the Maryland Institute College of Art and the author of Do Guns Make Us Free and Life After Privacy. He also recently wrote a piece in The Atlantic titled The Gun Rights Movement Fed America's Insurrectionist Fever Dreams. Professor D. Brabander, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Yes. Uh, before we get started, I just want to make a personal note. Uh, I lived in Baltimore for about 13 years, and I lived in the 100 block of Lafayette Avenue, which uh, is right where Micah is is located. So, uh, oh my God, that's amazing! <laughs> that's right. Your neighbor. That's right. Neighbor. Exactly. Uh, so, so let's start here. Uh, there was no real follow up attack in D.C. over the weekend, and I think everyone is grateful for that. But does that give you some hope that this January sixth incident was a one off, or are we just seeing the beginnings of a movement that will? keep us occupied for for some time. I, well, I can't I, I don't know whether 
you know, what kind of repeat incidents we'll see. But what I can say is that we've been building to this moment for a long time. And I was very, you know, I was very chagrined when I saw the events on January 6th and I had a sinking feeling in my stomach that this is something that I kind of foresaw and predicted. I, having written a book about the gun rights movement five years earlier, I was totally unsurprised actually to see it uh, arrive at this culmination. Um, I'm hopeful that law enforcement now is fully, um, you know, wake to this threat and will, you know, help us navigate it in the future. But I don't see these, the, you know, these kinds of armed protests going away anytime soon, unless the states uh, change some of their gun laws, which I have advocated. Hmm. Um, in your piece, you point out that Trump and his allies undoubtedly stoked these fires uh, with the, f- the far right portion of the of the Republican voting bloc. But you also note that the gun rights movement has been playing a big role in this big tension as well. Take us back to the 1990s and talk about when and why we first really started seeing this fear based appeal to prospective gun owners. We have seen an explosion of gun ownership in this country uh, over the last uh, decade or so. Uh, there is at the root of it, I think, this fear that one day the government might need to be overthrown. The government is coming for my rights. Talk about where that comes from. Well, um, you know, in a way, that notion has a, has a legitimate political uh, or historical pedigree in this country. I mean, uh, we have a history, we have a tradition of militias going back to the to the revolution. Um, but, you know, and they played a role in, in defense of the early colonies and they start they played a role in the revolution itself. Although, as I always point out, uh, you know, George Washington uh, recognized the limitations of the militias early on and opted for a professional army. So militias can only do so much in overcoming or challenging a tyranny. But specifically about the history you mentioned, uh, the NRA uh, the, the, has has transformed over the last 50 or so years. Uh, in the Before the 1970s, it was primarily um, attentive to hunters and hunters' rights and concerns. And then in the 90s, it takes up the mantle of, or it's principally focused on the issue of self-defense. But as I was arguing in the article, I wrote that that's not sufficient for gun sales, uh, self-defense that is. Uh, gun sales are stoked much uh, more uh, robustly when you talk about tyranny because then your options for weaponry that you should have, um, that expands and you know you need several weapons as well if you're gonna take on tyranny. Uh, in addition, uh, we've seen uh, a legal onslaught from the NRA that has also, uh, you know, erupted in the early 2000s, uh, again, around this idea of, you know, that we need these guns to take on the government. Um, I am very sympathetic to the public health uh, a crowd and their arguments, you know, that having, you know, plentiful guns in society is a public safety menace. But unfortunately, the NRA has been playing a different game in the last few years, uh, last few decades. Um, The point being that if the real problem or the real threat is government tyranny, then public safety concerns are minimal. And so the, the, you know, 
a tyrannical government means that we need all kinds of laws that embolden gun owners, such as stand your ground and permitless carry and open carry. None of these make sense from a public health standpoint, but they make sense in some perverted way when you're talking about tyrannical government. Hmm. And when we're talking about tyrannical government, I think one of the things that that seems to be stoking this fear right now is the demographic change that we're experiencing and the shift in power that's accompanying that demographic change. You're seeing African Americans uh, in in positions of power that they that we didn't have before. Uh, you're seeing Latinos uh, and and other people of color attain uh, positions of power in in ways that they that they didn't before. It seems to me not coincidental that some of this fear of government has to do with the extent to which government now includes people who were excluded for such a long time. Absolutely. Um, in my book that I wrote on the issue a few years ago, uh, the book was entitled Do Guns Make Us Free? I was uh, analyzing it from a political standpoint, that is the gun rights movement and these this gun rights push, because from a political, strictly political analysis, um, being armed uh, doesn't do anything at all for your political relevance. So, um, or it's it's hardly an act of political, hour, uh, political power. Martin Luther King made that perfectly clear. Um, so what does the gun represent? It, you know, from my point of view, it is it is kind of almost an existential uh, expression of angst and anger, uh, a recognition that, you know, of social um, precarity. Um, you know, we you, you, you see that the, the 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 gun owner demographic overlaps significantly with the Trump voter, with the, the hardcore Trump voter, the Trump enthusiast. This being, uh, you know, middle class to lower middle class, working former working class uh, whites. Um, many, you know, males tend to be very enthusiastic. White males tend to be very enthusiastic gun owners as well and gun rights advocates. And there is a lot of, you know, a lot of anger in this community because um, they, you know, a lot of commentators point out that they realize they have been taken down from their 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 privileged perch, you know, and they have to compete now with other populations. And so, you know, the gun is is a statement, if you will. I've, I've often written that, you know, guns um, speak. Uh, that's why I think that open carry is such a disastrous law, because when you carry a gun on your person, you are transmitting something. You're saying something. Hmm. And and so guns are a very powerful political symbol, if anything. And the symbol being of utter outrage um, that, you know, about your lot, about your situation. And that, you know, you, you, know, you will not stand for it. And you may um, opt for violence, as we saw. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always... I'm really glad you've joined us. Uh, my guest uh, right now is Furman de Brabander. He is a professor of philosophy at the Maryland Institute College of Art and the author of Do Guns Make Us Free and Life After Privacy. He recently wrote a piece in The Atlantic titled The Gun Rights Movement Fed America's Insurrectionist Fever Dreams. We're talking about the relationship between gun rights, gun rights advocates, and some of the things 
that we have seen recently in terms of the anger that people are expressing at government, at the outcome of the November elections, uh, the, the anger that they're expressing in support of Donald Trump, uh, that armed anger that we saw at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us uh, if you're a gun owner and what role you think firearms play in the social and political divisions that are playing out in our country. Are you hopeful that politicians are going to pass meaningful gun control reform? What would that look like to you? Also, give us a sense of what role guns have in making you feel safe in your community. Uh, I, I know lots of gun owners, of course, and lots of them talk about uh, not just the personal freedom that uh, they're expressing by owning or, or, or keeping those guns, uh, but the safety that they feel because they're armed. As always, uh, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Stephen, it has always baffled me uh, about the open carry of guns. Guns are intimidating, and when you see them, we're supposed to trust that every white person who is brandishing a gun and the power to kill you has the good judgment not to. Hmm. Uh, Bernadette, I, I am absolutely with you there. When I see when I see anyone with a gun, I get nervous. That's that's for starters. Uh, but when I see white people with guns, I, I am more nervous. Uh, I am more aware of what they're doing. I'm paying more attention to, to, to what they're doing than I would otherwise for precisely the reasons uh, that, that you that you talk about. Uh, Furman, talk about that, again, that racial dynamic that goes back to the founding of this country. Uh, well, one of the things, thank you, one of the things that was so alarming about the pro about the assault on the Capitol last week is that these were white people, right? <laughs> and actually, I, and, and, and the way they were treated in contrast with uh, the Black Lives Matters protests over the mm -hmm. summer. I actually wrote an earlier essay in The Atlantic uh, in spring about the protests in Michigan State Capitol. And these were armed men who marched into your Capitol. Is it Lansing? Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I know my capitals with, and they had their assault rifles on them. Yes. And just imagine, I mean, this is where I think they get the idea that that revolution is a, is, is a good idea or is a likely prospect. Listen, in any other country in the world where there's real war going on or you have a real tyranny, guess what you can't do? March around with guns. With guns. I have characterized these guys as men playing at soldiers because I think that's what they are. If black people tried to march around with their assault rifles, and I believe your congresswoman, uh, Rashida Tlaib, pointed this out, they would be shot down out of hand. You know, the way that they're treated is, is absolutely outrageous. You know, and so I think that actually racism from, you know, has allowed uh, this crowd to uh, cling to uh, it's it's insurrectionist fantasies, you know, where other populations would never be allowed to to have them or to pretend, you know, to play pretend insurrection in the streets. But your caller is absolutely right. I mean, guns, I have argued repeatedly, you know, they they 
they are a disaster for the First Amendment. We, we, we're in a situation where the Second Amendment has become so expansive and so radicalized that it is undermining the first. Mm-hmm. And that is a state of affairs that I don't think we can we can we can uh, tolerate anymore. The First Amendment, you know, uh, protecting our freedom of speech and the protecting of assembly. I mean, look, we saw it in the protests over the summer. What happens when guns show up at these very tense protests? Yes. You have people dead in Kenosha and in Portland. Yes. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about gun rights and its relationship to the insurrectionist movement that we saw in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. We also want to continue to hear from you about this. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Furman de Brabander, a professor of philosophy at the Maryland Institute College of Art and the author of Do Guns Make Us Free and Life After Privacy. He also recently wrote a piece in The Atlantic titled The Gun Rights Movement Fed America's Insurrectionist Fever Dreams. We want to hear from you this hour also about uh, what you think about gun rights, gun rights advocacy what role it is playing in the social and political divisions that we see right now. Also, uh, we want to hear from gun owners. Uh, Tell us why you own a gun. Tell us uh, what that gun makes you feel in terms of public safety or in terms of expression uh, of your rights. Uh, If you are a gun owner, are you somebody who thinks there should still be stricter laws uh, about who can have a gun, where they might be able to, Uh, to carry that gun. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Darnell in Detroit. Darnell, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today, Stephen? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I just wanted to make an opinion. I, I think this is an interesting topic. You know, I don't I don't think that guns actually make anyone safe. And I am a gun owner, but it's not it doesn't feel like it's, you know, safety. It just feels like it perpetrates safety and only people in this country that I know that has been allowed to really, you know, carry guns and, and use them as white men, you know, legally and uh it just doesn't seem, you know, fair for all of us. So, so Darnell, I'm curious. Uh, tell me more about your own gun ownership. You said it doesn't make you feel safer. Tell me why why you have one. I have one really just out of understanding and, and feeling like it's a it's a need. I, I'd rather be with one than without it, mm-hmm. and that's just what unfortunately we, you know, deal with in this country. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I, I, I really appreciate you calling and, and, and sharing that with us. I hear that 
from a lot of folks, especially here in Detroit, uh, where we deal with an, an inordinate amount of uh, of gun violence. I know a lot of people who who carry guns because they feel like uh, they may be in a situation where um, <clears throat> where they have to defend themselves uh, from from somebody with with that gun. Uh, Furman, one of the things that Darnell's call reminds me of is, uh, again, a difference. Um, so for people like Darnell and I who live in cities like Detroit and, and uh, you know, fear the gun violence that, that affects uh, so many people here, there, there does seem to be a very different kind of dynamic with that gun ownership than there is with uh, white owners for instance, who are afraid of the government. Uh, th- 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 there's a really different uh, impulse there, I think, in-, in terms of why you own why you own a gun. Well, this this gets me really angry, to be frank. I mean, I, I, I wonder I, I suspect that the dynamic is similar in Detroit, but he, I'm I'm here in Baltimore. And Baltimore has one of the highest gun fatality rates in the country. I mean, I love my hometown and it is just desperate to see the kinds of violence that goes on here and has for such a long time. You know, and I just like to point out, you know, Maryland has really good, strong gun laws. And on the whole, we have very uh, low gun fatality rates uh, as a state. The problem is that we're surrounded by states with permissive gun laws. And so it's just too easy for people to go across the state line and get a gun and, and flood the city, which is exactly what has happened. But in terms of like gun rights uh, opinions and polling, that what is really maddening is that in this, the city, that, that's the front lines, okay? Baltimore City is the front lines of the gun, of, you know, of gun violence. That's where people are dying from gun violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the surrounding suburbs, uh, they're not. Uh, people in the city favor gun control. People in the county favor gun rights. And I just think that the, that's <laughs> unconscionable. You know, it, it, the people on the front lines, I think their opinion matters more, frankly. You know, they have, they're the ones who have to suffer this. Um, and, you know, in the county uh, surrounding uh, the city here, you know, I guess it's a feeling of fear, you know, but also racialized fear. Baltimore has very strong racial, uh, you know, segregation, history of segregation, and the city's predominantly African-American, and the, the suburbs are predominantly white, and so that comes into play. But, you know, I, I, I think... We need to pay greater attention to the demands of of city residents. You know, they they are the ones who have to live with this on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. It looks it just looks really different than uh, than it does in other places. Uh, let's go to Mary in Detroit. Mary in Detroit, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um. You know, I guess I just really have um, just wanted to weigh in that my husband is a gun owner. He's white male. Um, he grew up going to a military high school where that was part of their curriculum. Hmm. And, um, however, we are quite liberal. We are Sanders supporters. We are all about gun control. We are horrified by what's happening in our nation with the Capitol, with Trump, Um so I guess just weighing in that there's, you know, you can't, I guess, put everybody in a box. Sure. Um, he, he does hunt. Um, he does have a pistol. I have to say, honestly, I, I don't know why I've, I was always anti-gun, but since I've met him, um, 
I, I feel a tiny bit safer. I don't know. Like, honestly, we uh, probably have the same fears of the same people. So, um, I don't know. There's that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mary, I'm really glad you called and, and shared that perspective. And as I said, uh, introducing the topic to callers, you know, we want to hear from people who, who own guns but believe that, uh, you know, there, there should be stricter gun laws and, and people who, who believe that, uh, you know, gun ownership is a fundamental right, but that maybe we're in a space where it's, uh, where it's being abused. I, I, I think there are a lot of people who fall into that, that category. Uh, Furman, I'll give you a, a chance to respond to Mary as well. Yeah, thank you, Mary. I mean, I, what I'm against is is the armed society. I'm not against guns per se. And let me explain what I mean. Uh, I love uh, hunting and hunters, by the way. I, I love to cook, so I'm all in favor. <laughs> um, handguns, I have no problem with handguns. And I, but you know, we need safe storage laws, which not a single state in the country has. Um, I am against their infiltration and occupation of the public realm. You know, so I'm critical of open carry laws. Um, I'm critical of permitless carry, which 10 states have now, where you are allowed to carry a gun without safety training. You know, hmm. um, that is outrageous in my view. And stand your ground laws have been quite disastrous as well, where, you know, basically they empower people to shoot someone uh, on the basis of suspicion. Um, these are not the ingredients of a civil society. Um, I, I think that guns are perfectly compatible with freedom, but we need much stronger regulations. You know, the NRA has really been um, on an offensive in the last 20 years to, you know, to overrun our public realm with guns. And that's what I mean by the armed society, mm. you know, and I'm completely against assault rifles. I don't think they have any place in, those are made for battlefield. They have no place on our city streets, you know, um, and, so I, I just think, and, and, and one comment occurs to me, and this also speaks to your previous caller, um, you know, the NRA, what they have done is they have made it or they have tried to make it so that we feel that we have to have a gun, right? Guns are so prevalent. The gun laws are so permissive and stand your ground laws embolden people to shoot you in the street just on the basis of suspicion. Yeah, you take put that all together. Pretty soon, everybody feels like they have to have a gun and that suits the NRA and their gun manufacturer beneficiaries perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, again, Mary, thanks very much for listening, and uh, thanks for the call, uh, Furman. I want to I want to ask you about uh, politicians uh, mm -hmm. and their role in dealing with this kind of uh, as you as you put it, this push by the NRA to to really change gun laws. They've done a lot of it through uh, through the political. Uh, infrastructure, but they've also done a lot of it through the courts and made it more difficult for elected officials to do anything uh, to to rein in the trafficking of guns, the sale of guns, that kind of thing. Um, how do you how do you get a hold of this if you're uh, if you're Joe Biden, for instance, about to be president of the United States and and witnessing what we saw two weeks ago in the Capitol? What's the what's the pushback that's available? Well, I think, you know, I'm not a legal scholar, but I would say that the, the, the most the obvious thing that comes to mind is bipartisan legislation. You know, I mean, I don't know that I don't think that this is on his agenda right now because he has a lot of other things. And quite frankly, gun legislation has been so frustrating the last 10 years. Mm. 
President Obama thought that he had a golden opportunity after Sandy Hook and he was stymied. Look, 90% of the population favored universal background checks. That is the most likely piece of legislation that should go. Uh, by the way, it's 80% of conservatives you know, agree with. Uh, they tend to be more permissive in gun laws. They too favor universal background checks. And so you know, if we would have, what is it, two thirds or 60% of, of the Senate would, you know, of Congress would approve that that legislation, that would make it very hard to overturn by the Supreme Court. Um, but the short of it is that this Supreme that this Supreme Court is going to be ruling on gun legislation probably soon, and there is an ominous feeling among a gun safety advocates. They feel that the additions of the three justices by Donald Trump are going to be very much in favor of permissive and expansive gun laws, which is very unfortunate. I, I've been arguing that, you know, this uh, court, the, the Roberts court, is very intent on protecting uh, and emboldening free speech. We saw that in Citizens United mm -hmm. a few years ago, where they said that money is speech. Well, if they're so interested in speech, they need to understand, as some of your callers have pointed out, that guns speak too, and guns intimidate, and guns in the public realm, they chasten speech. And so I would hope that some uh, lawyers, some would 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 take that argument to the Supreme Court and point out that you know in the interest of protecting speech we need to dial back on the presence of guns in the public realm. Mm -hmm. uh, let's take one more call here before we have to end the segment. Mary in Oxford. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. I choose not to own a gun, and my comment is uh, based on government statistics and Pew research. 61% of gun deaths are due to suicide. Mm. And I don't think we talk about this enough as a society. And, and what, what uh, Mary, in your mind, is the relationship between uh, that and the, 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 the pro-gun rights advocates and the, and the movement that, that has come up around, around that? What, what, what role do you think that's playing? Honestly, Stephen, I don't know, but I felt it was important to put that statistic out there. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you. I'm glad you called and added that uh, that dimension to our conversation, Furman. I'll, I'll give you a chance to to respond to Mary. Your your caller is absolutely right. That that is one of the least discussed aspects of uh, of our of our you know our gun fatality disaster in this country. You know, there's not a single country in the industrialized world that comes even close to our rate of gun of fatalities and two-thirds of that is due to to suicide so that's why it's clear to gut to public health crowd that guns are a menace to public safety right this is this is a disaster in a home you know when people are suffering from depression um and i i, I you know you have to forgive me. I, I don't remember the, the exact details, but I, I read a study from a public health expert in Duke a few years ago, and he pointed out that, um, you know, the vast majority of suicide attempts, when there is no gun involved, they do not succeed. But when a gun is involved, 90% succeed. Wow. So, you know, it's just awful. Uh, it makes the it makes suicide that much more certain. Um and it's 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 awful. It is dangerous. It's, it's it's terrible that you know we don't acknowledge this. Uh, there have been plenty of cases in the past. You know, I'm thinking of in England when they in I think it was the 60s and 70s 
they uh, embarked on a public legislation to phase out uh, gas ovens because people were committing suicide that way. It was such, such an easy um, temptation to do it that way. You know, we have a public health obligation to make it hard for people uh, to commit suicide and instead steer them towards treatment. Okay, Furman de Brabander, uh, a professor of philosophy at the Maryland Institute College of Art. Uh, it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you very much Thank for joining you. us. Thank yeah. you. Come back to Baltimore. Yes, I, have, I come time. and visit every once in a while, yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about President-elect Biden's ability to address these deep political polarizations that we see in our country. Just a little more than 24 hours from now, it will be his show in Washington. He will be inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.